0: Welcome to TheHorse.com's Ask the Vet Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, digital editor of TheHorse.com. Today our topic is safe travels, keeping horses healthy and sound during transport, and it's sponsored by Global Vet Link. We're joined today by Dr. Josie Traub-Dargatz, who is a professor in Population Health Section of the Department of Clinical Sciences at Colorado State University's College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences in Fort Collins. She is also a board-certified practitioner in internal medicine, and she's kindly offered to let me call her Dr. Josie tonight. Welcome, Dr. Josie. Thank you. Our other panelist is Dr. Faith Hughes, who is a board-certified surgeon and a partner at Peterson & Smith Equine Hospital in Ocala, Florida. Welcome Dr. Hughes. Thank you. So for this topic, we received hundreds of questions, and we're going to try to get to as many as possible over the next hour. If you have a question that you'd like to ask live, you can enter it into your browser that's in front of you, but please give us about 15 minutes into our program before you start sending those in. Unfortunately, we won't get to all of your questions, but please listen because we may cover a topic that is similar to a question that you have submitted. We're going to be talking about infectious disease, injury, safety, and comfort during transport tonight. We have a lot of ground to cover over the next hour, so let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Doctors, are we ready? Yes. Okay. Okay. So our first question is about infectious disease, and we're going to start with Dr. Josie. And this was a question that was sent in via email, and it's asking, how do we know that horses we're transporting are not carrying strangles or other infectious disease? Dr. Josie?
1: So I think important considerations are looking at the horse and seeing if they're showing any signs of uh, being sick, being off feed. Uh, With strangles, we might see a nasal discharge of pus, swelling of the lymph nodes around the head and neck. But most importantly, uh, most of the horses that would uh, have clinical strangles uh, would have a fever. So taking the temperature uh, and seeing that it was elevated and then pursuing what might be wrong uh, would be very helpful. I think the other aspect is knowing the history of the horses, uh, where they came from and the herd history. Uh, So we shouldn't be transporting sick horses um, or horses have been exposed to sick horses and I guess the last thing to mention is there are horses that have recovered from strangles that can still be shedding the bacteria and pose a risk so again knowing the history of the horse or the herd uh, can be very helpful if, if there's a suspicion uh, they may have been exposed or had strangles or are of, are of an unknown source then there are tests that we can do to detect the bacteria but they're not inexpensive so generally we tend to uh, focus those on
0: suspicious horses. And so are health certificates helpful in protecting horses when we're going to horse shows and horse camps?
1: I think having a veterinary exam, so we call it a certificate of veterinary inspection or CVI, can be quite helpful um, as a policy for or protocol for events or uh, facilities or farms. Um, Many of those are... um, effective for up to 30 days. So a horse could get sick after the inspection, but certainly having one uh, is yet another level or layer of uh, helpfulness in knowing the horse was examined by a veterinarian. But I also think knowing the source and um, speaking to the people that manage the horse can be very helpful as well.
0: Okay, So we have another question that I'm going to toss to you Dr. Josie and it's from Susie who is in Nashville, Tennessee and she's concerned about equine herpes virus and she wants to know what she can do to prevent exposure of her horse to the virus if possible when she's out showing and trail riding.
1: And, and I think um, she specifically was interested in um, cleaning or disinfection of stalls. But I think to start with, um, again, knowing the health status of other horses that you might be riding with is um, important, um, not... Uh, sharing equipment, uh, using communal water sources, taking your own bucket, keeping your horse at your trailer if possible uh, can be very helpful in limiting exposure to horses that could be shedding this virus. Um, Then I think the other is she asked specifically about uh, disinfecting stalls. And I think there um, the important thing is to understand that the most important thing is to clean uh, first uh, before considering how to disinfect because cleaning out soil bedding uh, and then washing the surfaces uh, can be very helpful in reducing both viruses and bacteria. And very few disinfectants are effective if there's organic material present. And then using a disinfectant that's a broad spectrum that uh, can be effective in organic material. There's a very good um, point-by-point description of disinfecting a stall at an event on the California Department of Food and Ag uh, called Biosecurity Toolkit for Equine Events. And uh, I think, you know, there's a a good way to go through the process in that particular document to see the the steps that one might go through.
0: Okay. And uh, Dr. Hughes, do you have any advice that you offer your clients who are going out to horse shows and want to protect their horse from... From catching something while they're out.
2: Well, I, I think if we if you start off with a healthy horse, and Doctor and Goody's really covered all of the all of the finer points, I don't really have a lot to add on that one. Okay.
0: Um, I-
1: Yes, I Dr. might just Joseph. add, you know, working with your veterinarian um, to be sure that whatever vaccinations they recommend, um, if your horse is going to have various exposures would be important. And doing that prior to leaving for the event in time that if there are immunizations, they would recommend those those are done, you know, well uh, in advance of the day you're leaving for the event or trail ride or whatever. Um, And the AEP, American Association of Equine Practitioners, has some general guidelines, but I think it's really important to work with your veterinarian on a vaccination plan.
0: And Dr. Josie, I'm going to throw another one to you about infection, and that's warts. Uh, We have a question from Terry, and he is in Texas, and he wants to know the best way to prevent warts on his horse's noses, especially his young horses, when traveling to new stabling and show environments and horse sales.
1: Right. So I think, again, uh, warts are very visible, unlike some of these infectious disease agents The horse might be shedding them out of their nose or in their manure. Uh, Warts we can see, so avoiding uh, direct contact with other horses that have warts. Uh, Warts are caused by a virus uh, specific to horses and mostly affects young horses. So direct contact and also uh, avoiding sharing of equipment, particularly things that would touch the sites where warts would be. Um, So... Thinking about a twitch that goes on the, on the upper lip, um, that's a common area that the warts would be. And then just looking and avoiding horses that have warts. Uh, the concept would be keeping horses with warts apart from those without warts um, and not sharing
0: and so our next question is for dr hughes and it came in from rebecca jimenez who is one of our bloggers on the horse she does our uh, horse 911 and she is asking about what injuries you most often see from trailer accidents and are they most likely to happen during loading and unloading dr hughes
2: well probably the most common injuries we see are uh, unfortunately the least severe are the loading unloading injuries and the most common would be cuts and scrapes on the head and of course if you if you can get a horse that will unload smoothly and load smoothly then those types of injuries can be avoided and if the, if you know that the horse is going to be difficult then sometimes a head bumper can be used to prevent that um, so those are what we see most commonly the most severe injuries are are fortunately very rare, and that's if your floorboards are rotten or someone forgets to close the back door or someone doesn't check to make sure that the trailer is truly locked onto the hitch or you're in some type of a, an accident. And those are, I they say they're usually more severe, but fortunately they're really rare.
0: Okay. And so it's about training and getting your horse comfortable in that trailer and then also making sure we take those maintenance Precautions on our on our trailers to create a safe transport for our horse. Is that is that what you would say, Doctor Hughes?
2: Yes, definitely. Always making sure that your trailer is in good working condition, and it never hurts to double check everything. Okay. All your connections, all your doors, and then of course, you know, driving carefully. And it's always good to remember that there's a lot of people on the road that have never pulled anything, and they don't understand how much space it takes to stop a loaded horse trailer. So just driving very, um, very defensively and very cautiously helps a lot as well.
0: Okay. And uh, Dr. Josie, did you have anything to add to what Dr. Hughes just shared?
1: I think the only other thing would be uh, to plan ahead and allow enough time for the loading and unloading so that you're not rushed because sometimes we um, take shortcuts or or we um, aren't as patient as we might be if we had enough time. So allowing enough time and then also trying to avoid things that might distract the horse during the loading and unloading, Um, other horses moving in and out of the area or dogs or whatever, just thinking about the environment as you load and unload.
0: That's a really great point. Thank you, Dr. Josie. Um, Dr. Hughes, we have a question from Carrie who is in South Carolina and she lives in a warm area and her biggest fear when shipping her horses in the summer is getting caught in a traffic jam and not being able to move and having the horses be overheated in the trailer. What would you suggest to do during this situation? Especially if her horses are reluctant to drink water when shipping?
2: Well, there's really two parts to this. If you if you can avoid a traffic jam, then it's always a good idea to do that. I, I would never plan to go through Atlanta at five o'clock in the afternoon. So thinking a little bit ahead of where you're gonna end up um, along the road is helpful. And sometimes traveling in cooler times of the day, traveling at night, also will minimize that heat. And I'm in Florida, so I totally understand the heat <laughs> issue. As far as horses drinking, It's never a bad idea if you're you're worried about being stuck in a traffic jam, which means being stuck in a place that you don't have access to water. It's never a bad idea to bring at least a few gallons of water to take care of the horses in that situation. But there's always the question of whether a horse is going to drink on the road. And there are some horses that they don't care what kind of water you offer them; They're going to drink it. But there's some horses that are pickier than that. And so there are some tricks that work fairly well, but they have to start at home. The horse has to be trained to sort of drink water that tastes a little different, but at least that it always tastes the same when they're on the road. And some people will add a little bit of Gatorade to their horse's water. Some people will add a little pack of Kool-Aid to their horse's water. There's actually a product called Horse Quencher out there that looks like, it really looks like a little bit of horse feed. And you put that in the water bucket, it comes in a couple of flavors, and a lot of horses drink really well when that's added. Um, There are horses that just uh, don't like different levels of chlorination or other chemicals that are in the water. And some people will get these uh, filters that you can buy at RV camping supply stores that you just screw onto the end of the hose. It's a little 12-inch long filter. And so at least all the water that comes through that filter tastes the same. But it is important that the horse get acclimated to that at home before you try it on the road.
0: I have one of those picky drinkers at home, and and they can definitely be challenging. Thank you, Doctor Hughes, for for that advice. Um, Doctor Hughes, I have another question for you from Sally, and she's in Ohio, and she wants to know about whether or not she should tie her horse in her trailer or not. And we got lots of questions specifically about this. Should we tie our horses in the trailer, or should we let them stand loose? Doctor Hughes, what are your thoughts? Well,
2: it depends on the horse, and it depends on the trailer. As far as the horse goes, trailing your horse is certainly not the time to train the horse to tie. If the horse is not used to being tied in their life outside the trailer, then I definitely wouldn't recommend tying them in the trailer. The other part of it is, what is the configuration of the trailer? We want the horses to be confined. We want them to be steady and have some room, but we don't want to give them too much room. If you have a for example, if you have a large stock trailer and you had a horse just walking, you know, loose in the whole trailer, the movement of that horse from one end to the other at any speed could actually affect the driver's ability to stop the vehicle. So we don't want the horse to, to have that much room to move. But confining a horse in a slant stall or a small box stall, then in many cases, is fine not to tie them. But we always have to keep in mind that we're not always hauling just one horse, and they all have to fit in, and they have to stay in order, and we don't want them to hurt themselves or each other. And so, in many cases, tying is the answer, and we just want to make sure that we tie them in such a way that they can't get tangled up in anything, but their heads are not tied too high or too tight so that they can't have normal head carriage and they can move around just a little bit. So there's not really a single good answer to tying or not tying.
0: Okay. So just as a follow-up to that, uh, what kind of injuries have the two of you seen in your practice of of horses who have been injured either because they were tied or were not tied? Um, Dr. Josie, have you seen any injuries like that?
1: Um, It's mostly been when um, there hasn't been good coordination on a horse that's tied and somebody opens the back end and the horse anticipates they're going to be able to back out and they get to the end of the lead and they start to panic and scramble and then certainly there can be some injuries. I have to say I haven't really seen any with horses untied, although you know I have had people tell me that some horses will um, bite another horse in the trailer and those can actually be quite severe injuries. So I, I think this being sh- sure the horse is restrained enough that they're not um, you know, impacting another horse that's in the trailer negatively.
0: Okay. And what about you, Dr. Hughes? What kind of injuries have you seen related to tying or not tying horses?
2: Um, as far as injuries go, probably the worst that I've seen has been when horses have been tied and have gone down in the trailer and it's very difficult to get them loose. It doesn't always result in a long-term injury, but it's a fairly dangerous situation for the horse with potential injury to their head and neck, and it's definitely a dangerous situation for the handler. So I think that is, we're really mostly talking about normal horses here, but there are a slightly different set of rules that apply when you have a horse that you expect uh, might be unsteady or might go down in the trailer, and those are horses that I would not recommend
0: tying. Okay, so what kind of horses would be likely to to go down in the trailer?
2: Um, Horses that are colicking and are being shipped to a referral facility, horses that have, have any kind of neurologic disease and some horses that have lameness issues okay. that we're not sure that they're going to have all four legs to stand on okay. sometimes they, they will be better if they have their head to balance
0: uh, really really important for us to remember when we get in those emergency type situations um, our next set of questions have to do with senior horses and there's a, a lot of you out there listening who are taking care of aged horses and we got a ton of questions on the old guys and the first question I'm gonna to toss out to Dr. Hughes and this is from Allison she's in North Carolina and she is transporting a horse Um, Every summer she transports a horse from North Carolina to Vermont and back again four months later. Uh, And the horse, actually there's two horses, and they're getting older, and she wants to know what she should be watching out for during the trip to make sure that it isn't too stressful for them to make this trip annually. What would you be looking for in those horses to say that they they don't want to travel anymore? Well, I think
2: if they... If they're healthy and they're doing everything they've done before, then that would not stop me from wanting to travel with them. They're, they're safe to travel. You just have to change the way that you travel a little bit with them. And the cool thing about old horses, older horses, in 19 or 20s, not really that old, by the way, <laughs> but the cool thing about horses as they get older is they usually don't get very excited about getting on and getting off. So it's not as big a deal to give them a little more of a break. When you, when you give them a break, let them come out, walk around a little bit, and they'll get back on the trailer um, versus a young horse that maybe it was a, it was a big deal to get them on and you're not sure that you're ever going to be able to get them on if you take them off again. So maybe shorter intervals uh, between breaks and breaks that involve letting them actually get off the trailer and walk around a little bit. As far as your the length of your driving days, you have to look at where your stopping points are and what your resources are there, but you may find that maybe it takes you two days instead of one or three days instead of two as they get older. And it, it really will not hurt them to maybe have, just like, might not hurt you to have a little bit of aspirin, may not hurt them to have a little bit of a non-steroidal drug if you feel that they're a little bit stiff or um, or they, as they get that way, if they get a little bit older, you know, a little bit of non-steroidal before they go and while they're on the trip.
0: Okay. And Dr. Josie, I have a follow-up to that question concerning the these older guys in the trailer. Should we be more concerned about infectious disease in the older horse when we're transporting them and taking them places?
1: Well, I think that's a really uh, interesting question. Um, I think you can look at it two ways. One is the older horses have... Uh, been out and about, and therefore potentially have developed immunity to some of the common causes of infectious diseases, and so that's a positive. On the other hand, if the older horse has a condition uh, that's called Cushing's or Cushinoid syndrome, it's an endocrine disorder, uh, it may make them more susceptible to infection. So I think, um, again, suggesting the horse have an annual exam by the veterinarian uh, that works for the owner just to uh, check those things out in advance would be uh, important consideration. Okay, thank you.
0: Uh, we have another old horse that is going to be moving, a 25-year-old Patron owned by Christine, who's in Central Michigan, and she wants to know, what she can do with her horse who's arthritic but otherwise healthy um to make sure that she's getting enough rest and also enough feed and water during the trip dr hughes
2: well this is definitely a horse that i would i would make a plan with my veterinarian about She's got some arthritis, so can we give her a little bit of medical support there, which is, again, probably going to be a non-steroidal drug. Um, can, can we do that? It's just like us taking Advil or leave. As we get older, as I get older, I can't stay in the car for quite as long without being a little bit stiff when I get out. She's in the same place. Four or five days for the trip is, is certainly a good plan, and obviously resting at night. As far as feeding and watering her, um, yeah, you know, I think water should always be offered every time that we stop. Um, every time we stop to check them, every time we stop to get fuel, we should offer offer them water. And as far as feeding. Usually most horses are fed twice a day, and I think it's just important to feed them before you leave and give them a little bit of time um, rather than feeding them in the trailer as you're traveling. Feed them before you get started. Give them an hour to sort of let that settle and then get on the road. And then in the evening, um, unload and let them stretch their legs and then feed again. And usually they will stay on a a fairly good feeding um, plan with that. Okay.
0: Um, and we have a follow-up question that's come in from the audience uh, from Cary in South Carolina, and it's going back to keeping horses cool while uh, stuck in traffic. Um, she's saying that she always leaves early or late during the heat season, or the hot season, and she brings her own water to make sure her horses will drink. She's wondering if she were to get stuck in a traffic jam, maybe due to an accident, what she can do in the trailer to make her horses more comfortable. Do you have any suggestions? Either one of you?
2: Maximize ventilation as much as possible. Okay. I,
1: I think I would concur with that, and it's, you know, that evaporative cooling. Uh, certainly, we don't have a lot of options while we're stuck in traffic, but, you know, if there were a way to have a... Uh, As Dr. Hughes said, if you had water along that was cool uh, and a sponge, uh, just putting that along the horse's neck and if there was a way, if you were totally stopped and it was safe uh, to provide some air movement in the trailer, uh, fanning or some other way to get that moisture to uh, evaporate. In the hospital, if we have horses with severely elevated temps, uh, sometimes we'll use um, rubbing alcohol uh, to cool them down, Um, but a lot of horses don't like the smell of it, and so I guess in general, I'd suggest just using cool water.
0: Okay. Thank you, Dr. Josie. We have another question that's come in from the audience, and it's about hiring transporters. It's... Uh, from Barbara in Florida and she wants to know, and Dr. Hughes, I think um, this would be a good one for you to answer, uh, when searching for an equine transport company, other than going by referrals, what type of questions would you recommend a horse owner um, ask the transport company to make sure that the horse is going to be in safe, capable hands?
2: There's a lot of reputable transporters out there, and the specific questions that I always ask um, are how many stops there's going to be to get from point A to point B. Um, there are um, there's some of these companies that will, there may be one stop, there may be 10. Um, is the horse going to be staying in some type of a holding facility overnight? Um, because what they may try to do, and I don't know what distance they're talking about, but if you're going over long distance, they try to fill their loads of whatever size truck they have. And so they'll sort of gather horses from around and, and sometimes keep them in a holding facility overnight and um, before they before they go to their final destination. So that's always a reasonable question to ask. And sometimes what it means is being flexible with your own schedule. Um, Sometimes you want the horse to leave next week, but that might mean that the horse is going to have 10 stops and have a, a holding facility, and if you could ship the week after that, it would be a straight-through trip. So um, I think it's important to talk to them about that. Some uh, companies have attendance, um, and, and certainly the basic questions, how often do you, are you going to offer water, um, what are your feeding plans, all those are all fair game. But there there are a lot of good companies out there, and I think referral is from someone that you know that's used to company and has been happy with them, that's that's always a safe bet. Okay.
0: Um, Dr. Josie, we have a question, it's another one, regarding a senior horse. Uh, It came in from Nancy, she's in Athens, Ohio, and she is moving a 34-year-old horse from Ohio to South Carolina. She needs to hire a transporter and has planned to request several stops. For the horse to rest and get out and stretch his legs. Do you have any other advice or recommendations to help make sure this horse is comfortable and safe during his trip?
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, it would be good to, again, uh, have the horse checked out prior to departure and determine whether some non anti-inflammatory drugs would make the horse more comfortable for the trip. Potentially, if more comfortable, it may eat and drink better. Um those drugs can have some side effects, and it's important the horse drink well during the time it's on the drug. So, again, working with uh, her veterinarian on that plan. I think the other would be during the stops to be sure the horse is um, able to put its head down. Uh, that's a good way for them to clear their respiratory tract, some of the secretions in their throat, end up going down the trachea uh, more commonly when they're in these long distance transports because their heads are um, kept up and so being able to get their head down periodically especially during the rest periods to clear the airway is important and then I think having some contacts along the way if there's a way to have some trusted contacts that if the horse isn't doing well there's a place for the horse to stay and potentially having some veterinarians in the Various areas the horse will move through that could be contacted to examine the horse if it's perceived not to be doing well along the way.
0: Okay, and Dr. Hughes, do you have any follow up to that? If I was moving a 34-year-old horse, I
2: would want to make sure that um, I was I would try to maximize their comfort, and I would ask for an air ride um, trailer, which is usually your larger vans, but. Uh, there's just a lot more shock absorption and it's more comfortable for them. And I would probably recommend that they get a box stall versus a standing stall, which, again, is usually in the larger trucks. And uh, it is a little bit more expensive that way because you're actually taking space. It it takes three standing stalls to make one box stall, so it is a little bit more
0: expensive. But I would consider doing that for, for the older horse. So our next question that came in was extremely popular uh, and I'm going to toss it over to Dr. Josie and it is whether or not people should use shavings in their trailers or just have the rubber mats down and this came in from Marianne in York, Pennsylvania. Dr. Josie, what do you think about wood chips or shavings in the trailer?
1: Well, I think there are pros and cons, and I think it probably depends on the, the length of time the horse would be in the trailer. So for shorter transports, I think dry, clean rubber mats, uh, from my experience, work very well. Uh, I think there are some male horses that are reluctant to urinate on those mats because the urine splashes up on their legs, and some form of bedding reduces that splattering, so they might be more comfortable On shavings particularly if there was a longer distance they'd be going the downsides are um, they potentially that bedding can blow around and make the environment more dusty during the transport and then I think you also need to have a plan where that soiled uh, bedding material is going to go upon your destination or wherever you're going to stop to clean out the trailer there'll be more uh, material that you'll have to deal with in cleaning up
0: And so those geldings that don't want to urinate on the mats or during trailering, are there any secondary issues other than discomfort for them? Yeah, I think they
1: start to get anxious potentially. Uh, Maybe they don't eat and drink as well when they have to urinate and they're not urinating. So it's, it's a stress factor. I, I don't think that it predisposes uh, necessarily to any other problems. And I, I think, this isn't the bedding question, but some of those same horses might be reluctant to urinate while the transport is moving. So again, during those stop periods, that's a time that these horses uh, can stretch out and uh, urinate. So not only clearing the respiratory tract and stretching the legs and all of those other things, but for some of these horses, it's a urination break uh, as well.
0: Okay. Thank you. Um, Dr. Hughes, we have had a question come in from Cherie, and she's in Costa Mesa, California. She's listening live right now. And she wants to know if you have any recommendations on how to keep a spooky or anxious horse calm during transport. Do you have any suggestions for her?
2: Well, the goal is to make this a boring event for the horse. And so anything that can be done prior to trap. The major travel, as far as um, make the horse as comfortable as possible around the trailer, in the trailer, short rides, um, maybe with a friend, um, maybe eating in the trailer. Just you know, something, something that makes it not a very exciting place to be. Um, just to sort of desensitize the horse. That's really, that's really the best plan. Uh, if you have, a, if you have a, a trailer that you can put another horse in that the horse is a good a good model for the spooky horse then that usually helps tremendously
0: Okay And Dr. Hughes, we had a question came, come in from Bainey in Florida and Bainey wants to know if you feel it's safe for horse trailers to have their windows down, the slant load trailers to have their windows down during transport either with the grids closed or the grids open where the horses can put their heads out Um,
2: I Anytime that you choose to leave the bars or the windows open, if you're going to be going very far, I do recommend wearing a fly mask because there's a lot of uh, just dust and small particles that horses have enough problems protecting your eyes when they're not moving, but they have a harder time protecting them when they are moving. So if they're open, then a fly mask is a, is a really good idea. I'm pretty comfortable with the, the bars being up with the windows open, but as far as um, the bars being down and having the windows completely open where they can stick their heads out, I think there's the potential for them to get in trouble there um, just just from unforeseen events on the road. So uh, I I don't recommend, while they're moving, to have the windows all the way down with bars open.
0: Okay. And Dr. Hughes, a follow-up to that, have you ever treated eye injuries that resulted from transporting horses?
2: Probably. (laughs) The truth is that on many eye injuries, we're not really sure where they started because they don't always get found immediately, but I would tell you that I'm pretty sure I've treated some that have started with transport. Okay.
0: Uh, We have another popular question, and Dr. Hughes, I'm going to hand this one to you, and it has to do with shipping wraps. Uh, Lauren from West Palm Beach, Florida wants to know, should she wrap? Should she not wrap? Uh, If you do recommend wrapping, should they use polos uh, and wraps or a shipping boot that Velcro's on? And if it's hot, is it okay for those to be on?
2: Okay, there's there's several parts to this. First I look at how long we're gonna be traveling. And if it's a short trip, wrapping is really not necessary. If it's a long trip, there's some types of wrapping that are probably helpful. If a horse has adequate room in the trailer, then it's not very likely that they're going to have a problem spending on themselves or somebody else. And that's why they don't necessarily have to be wrapped for a short trip. For a long trip, we're asking them to stand in basically the same place for a while. and it, And, again, they're not that different from us. Sometimes that means that they're going to stock up, and so they could use some support. And so if I'm trying to offer maximum support, then I would apply polo wraps because there's some degree they're sort of like compression socks. You know, they have, they have a, um, a purpose, and but they do require that you know how to apply polar wraps. If you're not comfortable applying them properly, then your shipping boots are probably a better option. They don't offer quite as much support, but they're very easy to put on and to have, you know, appropriate tension um, for, for anyone to apply.
0: Okay. And so Dr. Josie, I have a question for you from Joe in Paris, California, and it's going back to something we've already mentioned, which is water requirements during travel. Uh, Joe is asking about horses, whether or not they really are picky about water from different locales, and is it necessary to travel with water from home to get them to drink?
1: Well, I think some horses are very picky, and as Dr. Hughes mentioned earlier, some don't seem to uh, care that much about differences in water from home and other locations. And I've often wondered if the picky horses, that that was some kind of survival mechanism in the past where, you know, they were in the wild and had to choose between different water sources, some of which could cause them Uh, disease if they drank it so uh, for those that are picky maybe we should celebrate them in some ways but it's very frustrating to the owners when they're not willing to drink along the way so I think that uh, some things that have already been mentioned which are to Acclimate the horse prior to transport to some flavor in the water that then can be used when they're in transport as well. If it's a short uh, trip, certainly taking water from home uh, could be a solution. Uh, The other is... uh, As you're on the road and looking for water sources, it's optimal from an infectious disease perspective, not to use communal water sources, uh, water tanks, but to use your own bucket uh, and fill it from a hose and and not let the end of the hose go in the bucket as you're filling it because it could contaminate the water that they're consuming. Okay.
0: Um, we are having a question coming in from Erica in Kentucky, and she wants to know, I think I'll send this over to you, Dr. Hughes, if there are ever any health problems, um, that could lead a horse to be reluctant to trailer, maybe some physical pain issues, uh, that makes them not want to stand in the trailer. Have you come across that? Um, I wouldn't say that I've, I've
2: really come across that. Um, I, I, the only thing that comes to mind would be the actual loading and unloading. Um, if you're not using a ramp, would require some unusual angles for shoulders and hips, and that might bother them. But I wouldn't say that I really um, have seen that as a problem.
1: Okay, I, I, I think we've seen some horses that you know, especially if um, the person hasn't owned the horse the entire time that they maybe had a bad experience in the trailer during transport. Um, Some, you know, rapid stops and uh, difficulty maintaining their balance uh, or situations that we talked about with aggressive horses that had been in the trailer with them previously. And it never ceases to amaze me how long they can remember a bad experience that they had. So I think that's one thing. And we've also had horses that, um, are reluctant to get in one kind of trailer um, that are very willing to get in another style of trailer. Uh, So those are considerations. They're not medical problems, but they are behavioral uh, concerns that the horse has about being in a trailer.
0: Okay, so we need to be careful when we're going through the stoplights in town with our horses in the trailer.
1: And I think the other, we we had one situation where the hornets had built a nest in the trailer and the owner didn't recognize they were in there and put the horse in, and the owner wasn't stung, but the horse was stung during the transport. So, again, just having a look around that trailer to see if there's something that would bother them. And also, Temple Grandin's done a lot about what, animals see that we don't see, and trying to see things from their viewpoint, their height, things around their legs that maybe were bothering them related to where they are being asked to stand.
0: And and for our listeners who aren't familiar with Dr. Grandin's work, could you tell us a little bit about her? I'm, I believe she's a colleague at, at your university.
1: Yeah, she's a faculty in animal science, um, and she's uh, written books, and there's been a TV um, a, a show about her life, um, and she is uh, autistic and sees things through pictures and has really been revolutionary in describing uh, what animals see and have has assisted the uh, Uh, cattle industry and how to move animals from in various areas, and also has given uh, lectures on uh, how to work with horses in various situations and the the horse's perspective on a lot of the things that we have difficulty getting them to do. What's the horse's perspective on that?
0: And, and that one horse's perspective was he didn't want to be in with a hornet's nest, and I don't blame no. him on that. <laughs> uh, we have a follow-up question from Joe in California uh, who was asking about water needs, and, sh- and she would like you to define uh, a short trip versus a long trip. Dr. Hughes, what are your thoughts on that? What is a, a short trip versus a long hauling trip?
2: A short trip, I would say it's two hours or less. Okay.
0: So anything longer than that, those 14-hour days, that's a long trip, huh?
2: That's a long trip. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, So Dr. Hughes, uh, this is a related question from Barbara in Nevada City, California, and she goes every year to Idaho to go trail riding. I'm sure she does some beautiful riding up there in Idaho. And it is a 14-hour trip, Um, like I just mentioned. She wants to know how long is too long to travel without unloading her horses for a break.
2: Ideally, it would be really nice for them to get to get off of the transport at least once during that 14 hours. A 14-hour trip is is um, it's about as long as you probably would consider driving in a day, but it is doable. Um, so I I think a lot of that depends. She's she's been doing this for a while probably and probably has a feel for how those horses handle it. And different horses will handle trips uh, differently but uh, yeah, ideally we're going to check on them offer water every time we stop for any reason and if they could just get once to get out and stretch their legs and urinate that that would be ideal okay
0: and we have a question from our live audience heather in north carolina would like to know if she should offer water during the entire trip or only during stops uh dr Josie, do you have thoughts on that
2: well
1: i I think other than um well i guess i'm a little confused by the question because i don't quite see how she would offer water constantly unless she had water in a bucket in the trailer. And I haven't tended to think that was the best idea because it could slosh out and splash on the horse, depending on the transport. Some of the big transport rigs, the, the buckets can be secured well, and the horse can certainly access them for the entire trip. So it probably depends on the setup of the trailer. I think if they're offered water uh, every few hours, uh, that should be sufficient from my perspective unless the horse had some medical problems where it needed more frequent access to water than that.
0: Okay. Um, I have a question for Dr. Hughes from Lori in Texas. And Lori wants to know if she should worry about road noise and her horse and if, using some ear puffs to keep that sound down for her horse would be helpful. Dr. Hughes, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think that depends on the temperament of the horse and also what type of trailer you're using. Most of the time, I don't usually consider the road noise to be a major problem. It, most horse trailers are fairly closed in. If the horse was nervous and I was just in general have that type of temperament, then the your puffs are easily available enough, and I think that's a really good idea. But I, I would have to say that's not something I, I usually um, think about recommending. Okay.
0: Uh, Dr. Josie, we have another question about stress reduction. It's from Spencer in Georgia, and Spencer wants to know what some basic steps you can take are to reduce stress for the horse during travel. And Spencer has noticed that some horses will uh, sweat excessively when they're loaded and hauling. Is that a concern? And if the horse seems to have an angry or anxious attitude when loaded, is there anything that you can do for that horse?
1: Right. So I think it kind of goes back to some things we've addressed and trying to figure out why the horse might be having this anxiety uh, response to the trailer. And some horses, especially younger horses that are getting used to trailering, um, may benefit from having a buddy, um, particularly a horse they bond with at home, uh, transported with them. Uh, We've certainly had some horses that um, have difficulty trailering and when they've come to the clinic they've come in with a buddy because it markedly reduces the stress for the more anxious horse. Um, That may not always be possible, Uh, potentially hauling with a buddy uh, to acclimate the horse to transport and trailering on short trips, and then gradually um, eliminating the buddy as part of the transport experience uh, would be a suggestion, and then also just trying to figure out why is this horse so anxious about, about the transport.
0: And Dr. Hughes, are you concerned about those horses that get really sweaty in the trailer?
2: Um, I I don't really have any additional comments on it, other than it is usually more of anxiety I think than anger, and again, anything that we can do just on a daily basis, the preparation for making this just a boring, uneventful trip for this horse will probably avoid a lot of the excessive, well, the anxiety and the sweating goes with that. I think it's important that the horse does sweat some. Um, Being in Florida, we see horses that don't sweat. And so it's really, it's related, but it's something to remember that if you've got a horse that tends not to sweat, um, it's an anhydrotic horse, that requires some special planning as to when you can transport these horses.
0: Um, Dr. Josie, we just had a question come in from the live audience it's from Julian California, and she wants to know what the best way what is the best way to unload a horse that 's become claustrophobic or panicky in the trailer. Do you have any recommendations to keep the horse and the handler safe?
1: Well, I, I think that's a complicated question. Um, I think trying to have the footing where the horse is going to unload be as secure as possible. Uh, I know some people actually move the truck and trailer into an indoor arena um, that they keep very quiet and, and um, focus totally on loading the horse, uh, unloading it on very good footing, so that if the horse does move back quickly, uh, it's just going to move into the indoor arena, and nobody has to pull on their head or or do anything to over restrain the horse because it's contained when it gets off of the transport. I I think a lot of times those claustrophobic horses want to pull back and get off fast, and if it can be in an area where you know even if they went down, uh, it was very soft and cushioning. Uh, and safe so they weren't out uh, loose on the road or in a barbed wire fenced area or something like that that could potentially reduce the stress i don't know that i have other comments maybe dr hughes would have something to add on that
2: those are horses that i really like to have a ramp instead of a step up on a lot of horses really worry about that step, especially when they're going backwards. And so at least in the beginning until they become comfortable with unloading, i really like to have a ramp available, a trailer with the ramp.
0: Dr. Hughes, we've had a follow-up question on the um, whether or not to wrap your horse's legs while they're being transported qu- uh, question that we had earlier. This is from Heather in Kentucky, and she wants to know if you would still recommend using uh, wraps and on a horse if it's excessively hot out. Is there any concern about overheating the legs?
2: No, I really don't worry about that. I don't. I don't really worry about that at all. Okay. I think one of the concerns people
1: might have in that is, um, you know, if they've seen sweats put on horses in hot weather where there's plastic wrap with some medication under it and then a bandage, I think those certainly can um, have some adverse outcomes if it's very hot temperature-wise, but if the material would breathe, I would agree with Dr. Hughes that it wouldn't be that concerning. Okay.
0: And, Dr. Hughes, we have a question about a colicky mini who tends to colic when she is trailered for more than an hour. She also has kidney disease. This question is from Linda. And she is wondering what she can do to help her mini not colic when she's being trailered. Is there anything she can do to prevent that? Well, it it would be nice to to try to figure out what it is
2: that sets her off, but A lot of horses that colic related to trailing, uh, it's related to their manure gets a little bit hard, and maybe they want to try to have a little bit of an impaction. And so a lot of times what you can do with those horses is you can have your veterinarian give them some mineral oil, which is a laxative, and some water with a nasogastric tube prior to shipping. And that way you've sort of given them a a pre-dose of water and a laxative, and many times that that kind of smooths it over and that's probably where I would start um, there may be some consideration of if they think that it's that she has some type of gastric ulcer disease but um, and obviously you can explore that with the scoping of the stomach or we don't necessarily always tell people to to give an anti-ulcer product but that's that's a thought um, on there as well but I would probably start with some oil and water prior to transport okay
0: Um, Dr. Hughes, we had a question from Anita about hauling a horse that has laminitis. Her horse is a gelding who's 17, she needs to haul him five to seven hours. He tends to be sore when his toes get a little long, is sound after trimming. What's the most comfortable way that she can transport this horse with laminitis?
2: Well, I would ask her if this horse is a horse that she thinks would lie down for that length of time and transport. Because that would probably help him out if he would, and so if that, and if I thought that he might, then I would make sure he had he was not tied and he had basically a, something the size of a box fall in there and heavy bedding. If I'm not thinking that he's going to lie down, then we, we may want to try to give him some extra shock absorption with some uh, soft ride boots or some type of of cushy footwear that's at least just temporarily applied not like a shoe but just something that's velcroed on that will give him some additional support while he's standing and I would again I would talk to her veterinarian and come up with a pain plan. I don't know what kind of pain medication he um, he lives on or if he lives on any type right now, but he probably needs, if he's not on any, probably needs a little bit for the trip before, during, and after. And if he lives on some, he might need just a little bit more for the trip. Okay.
0: We have a question for you, Dr. Josie. It's from Gina who had a horse that was hauled across country uh, and lost condition during that trip. She needs to haul the horse back the other way across the country. What can she do this time to make sure the horse doesn't lose condition?
1: Well, I think it'd be good to talk to whoever hauled the horse and determine if it was eating uh, while it was going uh, on the transport the first time and how long it took the horse to gain weight back once it arrived uh, in the uh, northeast area. <clears throat> if it wasn't eating, then I think it would be important to try to figure out if there were certain feeds that the horse was more likely to eat under these conditions. Uh, it may also be, and Dr. Hughes mentioned this on the colicky mini, but you know, if the horse stresses with transport, um, talking to her veterinarian about whether there would be value in putting it on prophylactic treatment for gastric ulcers because it might improve the horse's feed intake uh, while it's being transported across the country. And then also just having a good exam of the horse before it leaves to make sure there's not a medical reason for the poor body condition.
0: Okay. Um, Dr. Hughes, we have a question that came in via email regarding hauling mares and foals. How... Would you recommend hauling a mare and foal that needs to go 14 to 16 hours in the trailer?
2: Well, we're gonna. what, what we need to provide for is the foal is going to need to nurse every hour or two and is going to need to lie down. So they, again, the mare needs to not be tied. They need to be able to move around, not in a huge trailer but in a box stall type area. There needs to be some bedding for the foal. And we need to make sure that all the openings are closed, and that includes an opening that might be above a tailgate or windows, because foals have been known to try to go, uh, try to jump out.
0: Okay. Um, we have a question that came in from Sherry in California, who wants to know if it's okay to ship a horse with a suspensory lig- ligament ish- uh, injury across the country. Uh, Dr. Hughes, do you have any thoughts on that, or keeping the horse comfortable?
2: It depends on where, where in the course of the century ligament injury this horse is. Um, I would really try not to move this horse in the first 30 days. That's when this injury is cooling down and is, is probably most vulnerable. But if we are talking about a more chronic injury or something that's been several months, then the horse will be able to make the trip. Again, you may have to come up with a plan with your veterinarian about um, pain management. But that is a horse that I would definitely ship wrapped, and they would not be shipping wrapped. They would be that would be a support wrap, which would probably not really be a polo, but more of a padded support wrap with a, a flannel or polo on the outside of it. Okay.
0: We have another question that came in from Bev in California, and she's wondering, during hot weather, again, it must be summer out there, um, whether or not you would recommend hosing the horse down or hosing the shavings down to cool the horse through evaporation. Dr. Josie, do you have an answer for that?
1: I don't see a downside if the horse tolerates having water applied to it, uh, going ahead and doing that, because you'd certainly get some evaporative cooling uh, happening. I'd question how long it would last from a single application, but I think it's, uh, I don't see a downside to doing that. Um, As far as wetting the bedding, um, I don't know that you'd gain a lot from doing that.
0: Okay and Dr. Josie I have another question for you and I think this might be our last one unless we get one more from out in the audience Um, and this is from Kim in Florida and she is a new horse owner she's only had horses for a a year or so so welcome to horses uh, Kim and she is transporting the horses to a home where she will be taking care of them herself they've been living in a boarding facility she's a little bit nervous about that Um, What signs should she look for of distress once her horses land in their new location?
1: Well, I think um, just their general demeanor. So knowing your horse is important. No one knows the horse better than the owner or the person that regularly takes care of it. And so is there anything about the horse that doesn't seem quite right? and it's okay to call a veterinarian and say, my horse doesn't seem quite right and not really have more specific than that to share and ask for them to be examined. Um, I think it'd be important to be sure the horse was walking around the stall or paddock uh, without reluctance because some horses can develop um, problems in their feet or legs from the transport itself. Um, I certainly would take the horse's temperature at least once a day for the first week that it was in its new environment to be sure there wasn't an elevated temperature. And then also the horse um, consuming feed is a really good sign that they go over and have some hay or other feed on arrival and and just being sure you gradually uh, introduce it to the feed if it's not the same feed it was on or it had limited feed during the transport that you do things gradually, Um, just change things uh, gradually.
0: And, Dr. Hughes, if I have a horse that's in the trailer and seems distressed, how do I know it's time for intervention that the horse may need my vet to take a look at him?
2: I mean, if the horse is having a problem in the trailer?
0: Yeah, if the horse is in the trailer, if they seem fatigued or shaking or breathing heavily, what what are the signs that I may need to get my horse some care?
2: Um, well, again, the horse's general demeanor is probably the most important. This horse uh, is agitated or um, looks like it wants to lie down or um, is, is overly depressed, or um, some horses will um, choke while they're, if they're eating in the trailer, so if there's any feed material coming out the nostrils. I mean, all those are signs that maybe you should try to find a veterinarian. And just have them take a look at them. You know, obviously, if the horse is more dramatic, if the horse is down, um, you know, something like that. But the first signs just may be agitation that you don't expect, um, sweating with not, not, you know, not necessarily being upset, but just uh, standing there, depressed and quiet, and sweating, things like that. Okay. And I, I guess I would add to the after horses taking a long trip. Back to Kim's question, I would really watch the horses' manure, and I'd want to make sure that they're that they're passing normal manure, and that they pass the man- manure within six to eight hours of getting to their new destination, and that it doesn't look too dry and hard.
0: Well, that is all the time we have for tonight. Thank you so much for your great questions and for joining us live during the past hour. Also, a special thanks to our panelists, Dr. Josie Traub-Dargatz and Dr. Faith Hughes and our sponsor, Global Vet Link. If you'd like to listen to this audio again, you'll find it archived on thehorse.com along with thousands of articles, videos, and resources to help you better care for your horses. Thank you again and good night.